millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Prospect Podcast. I'm Tom Clark, and this week we'll be talking to The Telegraph's man in Brussels, Peter Foster, about the Brexit talks. Why did they go so wrong? And are they anything more than, as he's reported Dominic Cummings as saying, a sham? As Peter will explain, one of the remarkable things is just how stubborn some of the old problems in the negotiations have been over the last three years. But all this is playing out, of course, in a more mercurial situation at Westminster than any of us can remember. I'm joined now by prospect Stephanie Boland, who's agreed to step back from the multiple car crashes, uh, which has seen constitutional conventions trampled on and uh, the government's majority squandered. Um, Steph, um, we both know that anything we say about specific events... um, risks being overtaken by new specific events in the hour or two that this conversation will take to upload. But as our new magazine coverline fiasco explains, Parliament isn't able to function as normal because the majority in the House won't accept any actually available Brexit deal. Do you think that's right? Um, I think that's not unreasonable. As you say, at the at the time of listening last night, um, Boris Johnson's government lost its working majority by a huge number. I think they're now minus 21. But it's very difficult in Parliament to get a working majority for any specific Brexit option. If we go back to the night of the indicative votes, which you may be able to just about dredge up in your, in your memory... <laughs> um, there was an opportunity for Parliament to unify around one of various options from um, revoking Article 50 to putting in specific regulations around the backstop to doing things very similar to the Ben Bill, which is going through Parliament this week. Or the new referendum. Or a new referendum. Um, All of these options were placed on the table and it wasn't possible to get any of them properly over the line. I mean, we now have people saying that the withdrawal agreement that Theresa May negotiated was actually the best option. Stephen Kinnock shockingly said this this week, um, but whether or not we'll be able to sort one of them out remains to be seen. I mean, the function of the Ben Bill, which is going through Parliament, and as you listen to this, maybe going through the House of Lords, they're hoping to rush it through this week, is to say Parliament must either 
sort a deal by October 19th or agree to no deal by October 19th. Um, so the attempt again is to give Parliament control over what form of Brexit we have, but we keep butting against that problem of the lack of majority. So realistically, we've got to wait and see what an election brings. Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, the other thing it keeps butting up against is what does Europe want to do, which solipsistic Westminster forget sometimes it doesn't control but as you say things are one way or another course uh, uh, heading down the course towards an election now um some people predicted including writers you've had on the prospect website um that the party system would realign as a result of uh brexit and this leave remain split being superimposed on the old party system um as we look forward to this election do you see that happening um i think there's various moving parts to to try and figure out and polling on some things is quite clear on and others leaves us a little bit in the dark so one question of course is how well the brexit party does um nigel farage's party has been slightly knocked back by having a a lever and quite a strong lever now as prime minister so it's harder for them to distinguish themselves from the conservative party line that might affect their performance equally what's going to become of their so-called lib dem fight back if you look at their target seat list it is as blue as the sky so they'll be hoping to take conservative seats i mean in a sense the tories start off in a pretty weak position here if they lose 10 seats in scotland back to the smp 10 in England to the Liberal Democrats from Conservative Remainers in some seats. Um, They have a lot of ground to take from Labour before they even begin to make gains on their current position. Although, of course, the classic thing for um, anyone who remembers the 1980s at all is that if you've got a Labour and a Liberal Party split, anything like evenly, um, a Conservative Party with a minority of the vote can nonetheless come through the middle obviously this time it depends on how big that split off on the right is to the brexit party but assuming that's contained don't you think boris johnson could clean up in lots of currently labor held seats by labor by staying where he is as labor loses votes to liberals it depends how well labor manages to carry through its ambiguity on brexit although ambiguity on brexit perhaps isn't fair because what they've said this week by saying they won't back a um, motion for an election under the fixed term parliaments act until this ben bill is is passed um is that they are working to prevent a no deal brexit and it may be that for a lot of labor remainers who otherwise might have flopped to live then they go that's going to be good enough let's go for a, a brexit deal and accept that compromise and move on. Um, so it'll depend how well that line works with certain voters, I think. And do you think, um, last time it was meant to be an election about Brexit, this time there is a Brexit crisis going on. Do you think it will be about Brexit? Or do you think it might end up being about, I don't know, fox hunting, social care or something none of us have seen coming? Well, this is the question. Is it going to be a rerun of the general election in 2017 mm. or of the last European elections, which which brought us very different results? Um, one of the things we really want to do on the Prospect website, if we do end up in an election, is kind of do anything but Brexit and actually look at policy as closely as possible. Um, I mean, there's difficulties with the Conservatives on this. There's things that they 
have which are going to make their job easier than last year they're not starting off with their own party machinery so on the back foot and so surprised by the idea of a general election but there's still a lot of difficulties for them to overcome if they try and do their um we've ended austerity and hand out lots of sweeties to voters it's definitely within labor's power to just out-sweeten them, as it were, mm. um, and offer more things to voters. I, I don't think they'll make the same mistake as they did last time with the um, social care tax. Um, well. <laughs> presumably they've learned from that, but who knows? We will see. Thank you very much, Steph. Now on to our main event with Peter Foster, The Telegraph's Europe editor. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And so, um, Peter Foster, you've been documenting every twist and turn in this Brexit <laughs> saga now for some three years or more. Um, but only this week you've produced for the Daily Telegraph some more big rev- revelations. Just fill us on on the latest there. Yeah, so I wrote a piece in the, in the in the paper this week looking at the internal deliberations of what they call the Brexit War Cabinet, the XS Committee, which is the top five uh, uh, Boris Johnson and his five key lieutenants, uh, looking at uh, how explicitly the strategy uh, as proposed and adopted by that cabinet is to, uh, and I quote, run down the clock in order to try and exert pressure on the EU to do a deal. Uh, the question, of course, is what does that deal look like? As yet, the Brits have not put anything forward on paper. And as I also re- revealed in that article, uh, if the, the deal in question is still to abolish the backstop, then Geoffrey Cox, who's the Attorney General, told Boris Johnson on August the 1st in a meeting uh, directly, uh, according to my sources, that it was a, quote, complete fantasy that the EU would bin the backstop, would abolish the backstop, as Mr Johnson demanded in his first statement to the House, uh, and that if that was the policy, it would set uh, us on, quote, a path to a no deal. Uh, and so... I guess the big question here is, are they sincere 
about a deal. Boris Johnson has shut off the obvious compromise landing zones. The, remember the time limit to the backstop, the exit clause that might have got Jeffrey Cox to change his legal advice, the legal advice that caused all the Brexiteers not to vote for the deal at the third time of asking. Those compromises have been shut off. And so, uh, you know, the question now is, what does that deal look like if it's not that? So we're left then, I think, with only two options in terms of these talks, aren't we? On the one hand, there's that what they really want is indeed no deal with all the chaos that people talk about, or at least the very real risk of chaos that people talk about. And they're happy to take that on the chin. Or what they want to do is bring back Theresa May's deal with the most cosmetic kind of fiddles and uh, then say, because it's Boris putting it forward rather than Theresa putting it forward, it's an entirely different proposition and it will go through because the hard Brexiteers have got nowhere else to go. Now, any any sense of which of those two remaining outcomes it's most likely to be? Well, the run-down-the-clock outcome, as it were, to repeat the Theresa May strategy, which is to run you right into the end zone and then force MPs to dare to choose against, uh, essentially, May's deal, lipstick on the pig, if, if you like, if you like. I struggle to see where the politics of that is. I struggle to see where and how that commands a majority in Parliament, given everything that Boris Johnson has said. Whether you're David Cameron, Theresa May or Boris Johnson, all of these EU negotiations have been characterised by a big promise up front from the Prime Minister and then a delivery that is way, way short of what was promised and it arrives in in, in uh, London dead on arrival. Now, if Boris Johnson went to Brussels on the 17th of October, accepted, as you say, some cosmetic lipstick on the pig change to the May deal, if he comes back to that and goes, I've got a tremendous success, it's what the Brussels sort of call the Trumpian move, you know, which is just to call a tremendous success something that really isn't a tremendous success. Would that fly in Parliament? I'm not sure that it would. A bit difficult as well with Nigel Farage breathing down your neck. Yeah, if, and exactly. If, if, the, if the reason you need to deliver Brexit do or die on the 31st of October is to extinguish the threat from the Brexit party, which I think surprised everybody by its performance in the European elections, you need to do that. But there's a huge problem with that, is that to do what Boris Johnson says he wants to do, which is to take all of the United Kingdom out of the single market, out of the customs union, out of the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. You cannot do that without imposing a trade border in Ireland. It's the same dilemma that Theresa May faced. It's the same one that she only belatedly resolved. And the best that Team Johnson can come up with at the moment is that technology, alternative arrangements you often hear spoken about, will kind of fix the border. Yes, there'll be a trade border. It won't be at the border. It'll be set back from the border. And that will be okay. Mm. Well, that's not, not okay to the Irish government. It's not okay to the European Union. It's certainly not okay to large sections of the population in Northern Ireland. And as we say in the, in, as I say in the, in the piece in the magazine, uh, the Boris Johnson government is going to have to think very hard before it pulls the trigger on a no deal in terms of what that means on the ground in Northern Ireland. So let's just get into the piece in the magazine now that you're alluding to there. Um, one of the many um, powerful bits of detail you talk about is the um, former customs checkpoint, I think, in Newry in Northern Ireland, six miles inland from the border or not, doesn't matter to the IRA when they set about assaulting it, you say. And um, that's just one of the hard realities um, which... Um, you talk about London evading and it's not just then 
Boris Johnson and this new regime that you think is ducking the realities of the negotiation, but really a series of realities that have been ducked going right back to the immediate aftermath of the Brexit vote. Yeah, I mean, you. I, I, I feel I ought to spare people the the details, but remember Theresa May's endless customs plan. You remember the customs plan where the EU were going to collect tariffs on our behalf and we were going to collect tariffs on their behalf and then we were going to rebate the difference for goods that weren't going into the European Union. Not only was it complicated and expensive, but it was essentially allowing the Brits to go on a free trade spree to regulatory diverge and use that to subsidise its own manufacturing at the expense of the European Union. And as a source said to me, even if you could make the technology work, even if the men from McKinsey with their spreadsheets could get it to work, why on earth would we do that? Just one example of where uh, in order to avoid confronting realities time and again, you know, Theresa May's government, they come up with ever more harebrained schemes to avoid the reality. Now, you could argue, actually, that Boris Johnson by taking the approach that he is taking, is confronting the reality. He's saying, Mm. I can have an independent trade policy. I can take all of the UK out of the single market and the customs union. And I can have a trade border in Ireland facilitated by technology. And it won't really matter. But as you said in your introduction just a second ago, the problem is that a border is a border. Whether or not it's actually a man with a peak cap on the wiggly line on the map, the customs park in Newry, which was bombed by the IRA, as you say, is six miles back from the border. A border is about filling out forms. It's about costs. It's about paying tariffs. It's about rules of origin declarations. Mm. It's about veterinary certificates. It's about loading frictional cost on businesses. And if you live in Northern Ireland, and the projections is that a no-deal Brexit would imperil 40,000 jobs in Northern Ireland... That border is not about watchtowers. It's about diminishing your lived experience and your economic and social future in the name of delivering, essentially, an English Brexit. Mm. Now, you know, do not go to Cross Maglen and expect them to put their shoulders to the wheel, you know, to rally to Mr. Johnson's call for blitz spirit to deliver a no deal. On the contrary, this is the political reality. You can't run borders without the consent of the people. So imposing a border via a no deal, I would suggest, would be an extremely hazardous thing to do. Now, we'll, one of we the, may find out. One of the um, remarkable things you point out, which has been underreported on, is even if we got the kind of end state that the hard Brexiteers say that they want in terms of a, a Canada-style arrangement, uh, in other words, a pretty comprehensive free trade deal that maybe touches on services a bit as well as goods, you'd still need this border and it's really um, the London's determination that it's going to run an independent commercial policy, which has become completely incompatible with its claim that it's not going to have um, a hard border on the island of Ireland. No, indeed. And I think that's one of the things that's also slightly missed in the politics in Westminster is you need to consider the choice that Boris Johnson is offering because the no deal Brexit. On the one hand, it's perfectly manageable for the UK. On the other hand, it's totally terrifying for Europe, apparently, to make them forced into no deal. Well, which is it? It can't be both. And by the same token, you know, a no deal puts a trade border in Ireland. But the Canada minus, Canada dry FTA that Boris says he wants puts a trade border in Ireland. The only difference is the 14 months in between when the transition period ends and you end up on WTO rules and you end up with a trade border in Ireland. So, why would the Irish government, why would any Irish Taoiseach be seen to cooperate in the imposition of the repartition of Ireland 
via a trade border. And why would the EU, having backed Ireland, Emmanuel Macron said when Boris visited that the backstop was essential for the uh, uh, strategic security of integrity of Ireland. Why would the EU go back on on that? Now, this is why I've always written about, say, time limits. If it was five to seven years, a choice between no deal tomorrow and five to seven, eight year time limit if we could not prove alternative arrangements work, then I suspect the Irish would be in a much more difficult position. But if it's a choice between no deal and Boris saying, bin the backstop and trust me, we'll find a way to deliver the border when after two and a half years, all the technicians in the world have not been able to conjure up this technological border. I'm not sure that's a particularly difficult choice for the EU to make. The answer is no. You're tempted to get to the conclusion uh, that you report um, Dominic Cummings is talking about, which is that these talks are something of a sham. Uh, something I should say that Downing Street um, denies, but I guess they would, wouldn't they? Um, but have they been a sham when you look back all the way from the Brexit vote? The whole business with Theresa May and uh, her red, white and blue Brexit, was that also a sham? No, I don't, I don't think it was. I think it just took Theresa May a very long time to realise that the sort of slightly half-baked ideas that were being put forward to try and avoid her confronting reality uh, uh, were not going to work, which is why we ended up with an all-UK, with a customs union, essentially, uh, until the trade border, the alternative arrangements, could deliver something different. In the end, Theresa May accepted that the unicorns, as they were called, the wishful thinking, the fantasies, weren't going to deliver. But I think, you know, as we say, as I say in the piece, Theresa May started off believing that she could kind of cherry-pick her way she had done the same thing when she was Home Secretary, when she was opting, if you remember, we opted out of all the Justice and Home Affairs regulations, and then we opted back into ones, including ones that impinged on sovereignty, like uh, the European Arrest Warrant. And she stood up in Parliament, actually, and if you look at the Hansard record, Bill Cash, Rhys Mogg are dinging her for, you know, consigning the, the, the free-born rights of an Englishman to the perils of a Greek court, or whatever it might be. And she said no. I've weighed this up, and on balance, the security of the United Kingdom would be better off in the European Arrest Warrant. And I think... Talking to people, you know, who were there at the time, she felt, and she took a long time to accept advice to the contrary. She felt that, you know, a similar approach could deliver a, a, a deal. You remember Checkers, remember that mm. sort of mush could deliver a deal, but it always founded on 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 the same thing it's foundering on now, which is what they call operable realities. Brexit is one of those things that demands operable realities. As a businessman, as a citizen, as a traveller, I need to know how it works. Mm. Which form do I need to fill out? Do I have to pay tariffs or not? What, you know, what, and, and therefore, it's almost unlike anything else in politics. If you go to the European Council, the quarterly meeting of EU leaders, the, the conclusions are always a mass of contradictions. Everyone needs to go home for Christmas. Everyone needs to go to bed. And they lump all the contradictions in and they avoid them. And you quote them saying as much, don't you? These Europeans who are like meant to be confronting the UK with reality saying, oh, we all had to go home for Christmas or we need well, these I mean, things. The joint report in the Brexit contest, the 2017 joint report, paragraphs 49 and 50, again, spare the, spare the readers the detail, but 49 and 50 were pretty much directly contradictory of each other. And in the best traditions of constructive ambiguity, they enabled both sides to claim victory and move on. The trouble was when you came to putting it into an operable text, how is that border going to operate? What are going to be the phytosanitary controls? What are going to be what the level playing field guarantees to ensure that there isn't a regulatory arbitrage between the UK? And if there is, what's the cost in access to the EU market? All of that stuff 
when it when you get into the detail, bang. And this is the same problem with with the current negotiation with the Brits. If 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 the negotiation is not a sham, mm. right? If there is a sincere desire to get a, a a deal beyond binning the backstop, which as Jeffrey Cox say is a complete fantasy, what is it? Where's the paperwork? Where's the where's the documentation? Where's the plan? No one's seen any. And of course now we're likely to have certainly a number of weeks with Parliament shut down. We're likely to have uh, a, a, an election campaign um, uh, where politicians' minds, let's say, will be on other things. It surely becomes, I mean, as I understand it, the government's case is roughly that, like, you know, in mid-October, they'll go back to Europe with some sort of plan, knock some European heads together, and Europe will reluctantly spit out a better deal on the 18th or 19th of October, which will then be legislated through Parliament in a week or so? Is that... I mean, you rightly sit here, Tom, scratching your head. I mean, that's just <laughs> nonsense. I mean, you know, this is, I mean, again, from ruling out any kind of extension. Because let's say, for example, the EU, which is what they've said, is, look, if you don't want the backstop, we get that. And if so, if you can create an, oper- an operable alternative, right, mm-hmm. then fine, we don't need the backstop because we've already established that we've got a fully open border in Ireland and the all-island economy is protected, and the peace process is protected. If we've got that, we don't need the backstop. Right. And we always said that. And the alternative the backstop was only there until something else came along to replace it. That's in the withdrawal agreement, right? The alternative, unless and until. And so, you know, how would that work? If you want to operationalize that relationship, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of pages mm. of text, right? You could flip back to the Northern Ireland only backstop the, the border in the Irish Sea quite quickly because that text is already there. It was the one that the EU originally proposed. But if the idea is to create an operational text for that border, that's you know that's a, pretty much a full-blown trade negotiation. Is that being done between October the 17th and the 31st of October? Sounds a bit ambitious. Let's <laughs> just pause though because that's the nearest thing to a plausible landing zone that still exists. If there were an early election and the Conservatives came back with a significant majority uh, and uh, purged of all um, the kind of Remain elements so that there was a clear majority for a hard Brexit but there's no longer this reliance on the Democratic Unionists, there might just be the outline of a, of a way through, right, mightn't there? Uh- I mean, I think that this is where you get into very sensitive politics because, yes, it is true that a hard Brexit and a hard border trade border would be extremely destabilising, I think, in Northern Ireland and the nationalist community would react violently against it. But the Good Friday Agreement allows nationalists and unionists to live essentially in parallel constitutional realities. Both sides get to live a parallel constitutional reality now and, and and the alternative just to be clear to the listeners that i'm talking about is really putting this hard border in the irish sea instead. correct correct and that would so this is the other side of the bargain the unionists will say well hang on yes you know the nationalists bleat about this border that isn't going to be a big deal but and you're saying we should have our position within the united kingdom which is always vulnerable because we're always on the other side of the irish sea and we never quite believe that you know the tories actually care about us you're saying we now have to become a regulatory exclave of the european union behind an internal trade border in the irish sea absolutely not right so you know, that's the other side of the argument. I would say this. There is no easy solution to this. If you talk to people like uh, the trade bodies manufacturing Northern Ireland, etc., their estimate is that a de-dramatised 
Irish Sea border, bearing in mind there are already live animal checks at Larne, so the whole of Ireland, north and south, north mm. of the Republic, is treated as one area for live animals, for timber, for fertiliser, for um, uh, dangerous chemicals, etc. Those checks already take place at Larne. You can't take a horse into Northern Ireland without going through the live animal checks at Larne. So it would be an extension of something that's already there. And it would be a moderate extension under the terms, you know, we're talking five to six, according to the uh, the trade bodies that I speak to in Northern Ireland, who, by the way, support the backstop, five, six, eight extra trucks a day being checked. Now, I would argue that is the lesser of two evils than a full-blown trade border north-south in Ireland. But do not expect the DUP and unionists to agree mm. with me. Mm. And and I think, you know, one of the problems about this whole process is that the two and a half years has, whilst it's been marked by denial and obfuscation and, and lazy thinking, it has also shone so much political light into the process that the kind of fixes that you're talking about can't be smuggled over the line now, as people once help, hoped that they might be. And with all the implications for the politics in Northern because Ireland they're and seen Scotland, as imbued with such huge yes, national I mean, significance. You know, th you know this whole thing about well, a few more phytosanitary SPS checks at Larne. You know, everyone's asleep. No one's taking any notice. But now, yeah, you're yeah, repetitioning yeah. the United Kingdom, which Prime Minister worth its salt would break up the United Kingdom at the behest of the neoliberal trade bloc in Brussels. Which sovereign country could ever subject to that kind of abject humiliation? I mean, you know. You know the you know the drill, and I think that's that we're in a we're in a really 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 difficult place now. Um, you've been talking to all these negotiators, as I say, over years and years. Um, and you got some terrific quotes from them in this huge essay about like unicorns that they're on the run, they're not going to bother chasing them, and all the rest of it. But when it comes to um, whether things could have gone differently, because clearly things haven't gone very well. If we go right back to, I don't know, either David Cameron's renegotiation or to the start of Theresa May's negotiations, could we have ended up in a completely different place? I think it's very difficult. I mean, I've always said, you know, the substance comes to bite you in the end. Um, given the incredibly partisan gestation of Brexit, mm. right, you know, both within the Tory party, but also the campaign. I mean, the obvious answer to the question is when Theresa May lost her majority in the botched election, she should mm. not carried on as if she still had her majority. She should have realised that the only way a Brexit deal was going to go over the line was with the consent of both sides. And that something of such enormous constitutional and national importance ought to have been done via a cross-party, you know, Royal Commission, etc. And she fundamentally underestimated the politics in her own party and you know but when you get you know is that was that ever real, real realistic given who Theresa May was given the where the, the sort of oppositional if it was in Germany for example where they have grand coalitions you know the GroKo where you know the the, the CDU the, the Christian Democrat right party and the SPD are in coalition to each other together the whole time it would have been a much more natural mm. natural process but given our politics given the oppositional nature of our politics it's, it is very difficult to see, but I mean, that's the obvious answer. And and that would have been somewhere on a spectrum between the deal May ended up with or uh, a Norway well, consider, deal. Well, consider that, you know, it's not that long ago that people like Bill Cash were pro-Norway. Mm. I mean, it was actually, you know, they became much less pro-Norway when they realised 
the strings that would come attached, the level playing field guarantees that would come attached with that to stop competition arbitrage with the UK uh, in, in exchange for that level of market access. And of course, you know, that they, they swiftly turned against the idea, but actually it would have been a deal not, May's deal was created by gravity, not by strategy. It was the sort of 52-48 Brexit. Unfortunately, the process of getting there created this negative coalition of people who wanted to stop Brexit altogether mm. and people who only wanted a diamond hard, you know, uh, unalloyed, pure Brexit. And between them, I mean, is it is it Stephen Kinnock who now says, you know, I wish I'd voted for the deal? Uh, you know, Theresa May, I think the one thing I have sympathy with her for is thinking, you know, why did they not take me seriously when I said, you know, almost all the other options are worse? You might not like my deal, but it does deliver Brexit. It does close the legal guillotine. Yeah, it's not a North Korean Brexit, but it's Brexit. And it does give us control over free movement and it allows us our pretty much frictionless trade. You know, it was in the end the 48-52 Brexit. Uh, but, you know, the politics had become so toxic and is now so toxic. And it's difficult to see, honestly, whether an election is going to produce... We don't know. Will an election produce another hung parliament? Then where are we? Who knows? The title of your piece, Fiasco, looks like it could be pertinent for a long time yet. Thanks very much, Peter Foster. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And that's all for this week. Thank you very much for listening to our interview with Peter Foster. You can read his long read on the history of the Brexit crisis over three years and where it might go next in this month's new issue of Prospect, which is out now on newsstands. Rebecca Liu was this week's producer. And for any of you who were hoping to listen to the uh, Lisa Opinionisi uh, podcast on Susan Sontag, don't fret, she'll be on very soon. So do keep tuning in. And if you've enjoyed the Prospect podcast, please do leave us a rating and review, which really does help. See you next week. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>